we're continuing the series uh, called Identity Theft, and basically we're trying to answer three questions. The, the three questions that we're answering over the next five weeks are, who am I? What's my purpose? Why am I here? And how much am I worth? That's what we're trying to answer along the way. And what we realize as of the last couple of weeks is that we have an enemy that loves to try to distort uh, the image of God that he created for us. He loves to lie to us and deceive us. and He loves to tempt us and, and draw us away from the good things of God. And once we've been drawn away or we step across the line of temptation and when we, when we sin and we, we end up making mistakes, then what happens? He turns and he accuses us. That's what he does. And so today, what, what you need to know is this. If God, if, if the enemy can distort God's view of, you, of who you are, if he, can, if he can cheat you into believing something other than what God says about you, here's the deal. He's got you. He's got you. He's got you because here's the deal. You will go, you know what? Well, I guess I don't have that much value. I guess I'm not worth that much. I guess I, guess I don't really have that much of a purpose. And eventually what we do is we just eventually settle. And so today... I'm going to just tell you a quick story to dive in just to kind of set the tone for the day. There was an elderly man who walked into a grocery store, saw his doctor down the aisle, walked up to him and said, hey, I just want to tell you something. Thanks so much for the great advice. The doctor said, what are you talking about? What advice did I give you? He said, well, you told me to to get a hot mom and be cheerful. And the doctor said, no, 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 I didn't say that. I said, you have a heart murmur and be careful, all right? That's important. It was about a two. It was really bad. Let me write that down. bad. All right. But here's the deal. In this, what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to miss here what I have for you to to, to hear today. I don't want you to miss the opportunity that maybe God wants to say some things to you. I don't want you to walk out of here in something different because the enemy will want to distort that. I want you to chase things that maybe aren't good for you. Things that could put you in harm's way. Things that can put you in a bad place. Things that can take you way off your God-given purpose and your God-given identity. And here's the question we're going to answer today. Can success wreck our lives? Can it wreck our lives? Because the reality is we live in a world that is very success-driven in every capacity, in every way, every field, every, every venue of life. We're, we're driven toward this idea of, of, of succeed, climb the corporate ladder, be better, out, you know, outdo, out, outprove, on and on. And the desire to impress and the expectations that we have to, to succeed start very, very early, right? I mean, a lot of your parents, and we talked about this, a third of our church have very young kids. And, and the reality is you probably sat at a playground or at a, at a, uh, a, you know, a play date and, and a bunch of moms get together and you start talking and all of a sudden you hear, you know, so, hey, when did your son start walking? Oh, 13 months. Oh. Oh, well, when did your daughter start walking? Uh, Ten and a half months. Ooh, you know. Well, when did they start talking? Oh, they start talking like, you know, eight and a half months. Like, they just have a full vocabulary. When did yours start talking? Like three months. I mean, they just were talking, reading, ABCs, counting. You know, when did yours get potty trained? Oh, well, uh, we're still working on it. You know, they're two and a half, three. Oh, jeez. You know? When did yours? Well, when, as soon as they came out of the womb, they immediately just went to. It's, I mean, it's amazing the pressure that parents put on kids, and then also we grab hold of things that that aren't good for us. But yet we vicariously live through our kids and their own successes. We do. And then it moves to grades when they get older in sports and extracurricular activities, and parents then begin to seek to live vicariously through their kids' lives, and they don't say it to their kids, but basically it's this: do not, do not fail, do not disappoint or embarrass me. I did a lot of student ministry in my day, and I've run into a lot of kids who, 
Honestly, they hate their sport. They hate their extracurricular activity. They hate school because they've worked so hard and they've been driven like a beaten mule to perform, to outdo, to succeed. And it's no longer fun anymore for them. I've heard parents point to their kids. I've heard this out loud at a game and say, hey, look at that kid right there. That's my franchise right there. you imagine? And then it moves to GPAs and, and, and ACTs and SAT scores and honor classes and filling up a proverbial resume in order to get a scholarship. I've run into a lot of students that end up chasing degrees, going to colleges that they didn't even want to go to, and they, they chase these degrees like business or engineering or, or law simply because their mom and dad did, and they felt this extreme pressure to follow them, to live in their footsteps, to, to, to pursue the things that they pursued, and they hate every single second of it. That's the reality. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you grew up and you just were always really, really competitive. You're a driven person, and, and you, you've always had this spirit of outdoing, outperforming. Your, your best isn't good enough. And we, we slap all these bumper stickers on our cars that say, you know what, I'm a proud parent of an honor roll student. Just once, I'd love to see a bumper sticker that said, you know what, my kids got C's, and I'm still proud of them. You know? C's get degrees. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway. Or maybe, maybe, for you, you were told by a parent or a teacher or a coach or somebody that weighed into your life in a really bad way, and they said something like this. You know what? You're never going to be somebody. You're never going to make anything of your life. And it ticked you off, and your whole life has been about this. I'm going to prove it to you. That's your whole life story. It doesn't matter what you do. The fact is, I'm going to prove it to you that I can be somebody because this feeling of not being somebody hurts so bad that I'm going to achieve. I'm going to do something so that everybody can know that I'm not a somebody because I am a somebody. I'll prove it to you. And so we perform and we produce and we earn and we accumulate and we strive and we drive and we win to, to be appreciated and accepted and admired. And it doesn't matter if it takes long hours or seven days a week or if it costs me my health or if it costs me my marriage or if it costs me my kids or if it costs me my soul. I want to be somebody and I'm going to prove it to you. Or maybe for you, maybe you've been suffocated by the need to please others so badly that you can't say no. You've overextended yourself in projects. You're motivated not by personal passion for anything, but by the fear of not living up to someone else's expectations. And worse yet, what you're doing, if you're not careful, is you're actually passing this along to your kids. Live to please everybody else. Solomon was a man in the Bible that was described as the wisest man to ever live. But before he ever got to that title... What was interesting was that he was on this all-out pursuit to pursue this idea of what it means to have meaning and purpose and value in life. And the whole book of Ecclesiastes is this powerful book of this, ex, this, this expose of him chasing down anything and everything, trying to figure out, does this, is, this what brings, is this what brings matter and value and significance to my life? And he chases all these things. And he, he, he writes down all of these things, not to brag to anybody about the stuff that he's done, but simply as a warning to us to say, hey, listen, don't go down this road. This is not good for you. If you put all your eggs in this basket, you will only be disappointed. And he rattles off several things. He tried, he tried education. He went down and, and tried to achieve and learn and grow and be intellectual and, and learn from the philosophers and all these type of things. And at the end of it, it says, and it did not satisfy and then he tried, to, 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 he tried pleasure and to live fast and to party hard and to chase sexual pleasure. He spent lots and lots of money. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. All right, I'll just leave that where it is today because of intergenerational service. The guy had 1,000 women 
at his beck and call. Made Hugh Hefner look like a choir boy. At the end of it, he said, and it did not satisfy. And then he pursued acquiring things, buying and purchasing lots of stuff. He built this amazing home with gardens and and vineyards and irrigation systems and and having the latest and greatest. It says, the Bible says that that 153,000 men worked for seven years on on this compound that he called his home. At the end of it, he said, It didn't satisfy. It's meaningless. And then he said these words, like chasing after the wind. He tried the pursuit of success. And here's what he said in it. Ecclesiastes 2, 17 through 21. And just this is in your notes. I just want you to underline some things, all right? This is important. He said this, so I hated life. So I hated life. Underline that. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. And all of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Just underline that. Verse 18, I hated all things I had toiled under the sun because I, I, I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Apparently Solomon's not real happy about handing off the family business or the uh, income to, to those behind him. Verse 19, and who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they have control over the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. Verse 20, so my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all that they own to another who has, toiled, who has not toiled for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. Man, Debbie Downer. This idea of talking about success, and he's going, I chased it. I, 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 I grabbed it. I did all these things, and at the end of it, it was like chasing the wind. In your notes, success is not a bad thing. It's not. But it is a terrible God. Success is not a bad thing, it, 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 but it is a terrible God. You see, there, God calls us to, to make a difference, to, 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 be, to do our best, to be our best, to not be average. But here's the deal. Success makes a terrible, destructive God. It's the thing that you live your life for. It's where all of your affection and all of your attention and all of your devotion and all of your time moves. If that's where it goes toward, then here's the reality. Success is your God, and it is a horrible God. Leviticus 19.4 says, Don't turn from idols. Don't turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. You see, when good things become God things, they become destructive things. God says, let me guide you. Let me love you, let me lead you, and let my love and grace compel you to work hard and to love people well. You see, what I'm learning is that God gave us these desires, and they're healthy desires, but what happens is, is when they get a little, like 10 degrees off from where we're supposed to be, it doesn't look that, that bad in the very beginning, but eventually you walk that out and you fast forward this through time. Well, the reality is you're miles away from, from the person that God wanted you to be. You're miles away from the things he wanted you to have. And you're miles away from, from chasing the purpose that God intended for you to chase. Ecclesiastes 4, 4 says, Then I observed them that most people are motivated to success because they only envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Keeping up with the Joneses. Solomon says, this too is meaningless like chasing after the wind. You ever watch somebody in the park like just take off trying to chase the wind? Anybody ever seen that? Me either. Wouldn't that be weird? <laughs> like, dude, what are you doing? I'm chasing the wind. You know, you need medication. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. You know, no, no one does that. It's weird, right? 
And what Solomon's saying is, you know what? Chasing after all these things that don't satisfy us, at the end of it, it's like somebody who's running around the park trying to, trying to capture the wind and put it in a bottle. He says it nine times. It's translated, meaningless, it's passing, it's fading, it's elusive. We see it, and then it disappears. The book of Ecclesiastes is summed up this way. We come and we go. We make money, and then we die, and we give it away. We get fame, and it disappears. We, we have temporary pleasure that leads us to long-term pain. Money, wealth, stuff, popularity, position, possessions, power, respect, achievement, sex, pleasure, comfort is all fleeting. It's like chasing after the wind. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And trying to capture the wind in a bottle or a box is this weird pursuit, but here's the reality. Students, some of you, every day when you get up and go to school, success is your drive. It's all that you are. It's what you're trying to protect. It's what you're chasing after. It's, what you, it's all that you know. It's like chasing after the wind. Get on the practice field. Your extracurricular activity, your sport, whatever that is, your great, whatever that is, it is chasing after the wind. Adults, many of you get up every day going, I'm going to be better. Be better than the people around me. I'm going to outdo what I did. I'm going to protect what I have. Chasing after the wind. In your notes, if you want success to wreck your life, here it is. Let it define you. Let it define who you are. You let your identity get wrapped up in what you do. It's obvious that Solomon allowed his identity to get wrapped up in what he did and also the things that he, he purchased and accomplished. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about this idea of being mugged by the mirror, that, that personal appearance, that image management is, is a difficult thing, and, it, and it, it touches all of us, but yet it's also maybe a little bit bigger challenge, uh, more of a snare for some of our women. This one today, guys, being stolen by success, it hits both sides of the, uh, the aisle, but the reality is it's a big one for guys, isn't it? Be provider. Some of you grew up with dads, and the sum total of what it meant to be a man, to be a husband, and to be a father was simply this. Bring home a paycheck. Bring home a paycheck. That's what a man does. I mean, here, here, here's, the, here's my question. There's nothing wrong with bringing home a paycheck, and you should. But if you ask my wife, hey, how is, is Scott a good husband? And she said, then her response was, you know what? He's a great husband. He gets paid twice a month. He's a fabulous husband. No. In fact, I don't think my paycheck, what I make, what I earn, no matter what year it is, no matter how much I make, has anything to do with that question. Do you? Fathers, if you said, hey, to my kids, is Scott a good dad? Is he a good daddy? I don't think they're ever going to say whether it's right now or 20 years from now. I don't think it's ever going to end up in the answer to that question by saying, you know what? He brought home this paycheck and he bought all this stuff and he gave us all this stuff. I don't think that's going to have anything to do with that question, do you? Inherently, we know that, fellas, but you know what? We just chase it down. We think that that's it. Some total of my life is to provide, provide a paycheck. And the reality is, you know this, you need to lay that down. Because being a man, being a father, being a husband is so much more than that. In your notes, or we think this. If I could just be successful at blank, I'd be seen as blank. If I could just be successful at blank, I'd just be seen as blank. Whatever that is. If I could be successful at looking good, I'd be desired. If I could be successful at work, I'd be seen as important. If I could be successful at school, I'd be seen as significant or intelligent. If I could be successful at making money, I'd be seen as secure. If 
I could just be successful at blank, whatever blank is, I'd be valuable, acceptable, worthy, significant. You fill in the blank for you. What is it the enemy pushes you toward? That's your blank to fill out and then lay down. Well, here's a lie that we embrace. I am what I do. I am what I do. Sharon talked about that. It's amazing how much we get our identity from, from our vocation or the things that we do. We say things like, I'm a doctor, I'm an architect, I'm an engineer, I'm a lawyer, I own my own business, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a teacher, I'm a pastor. Whatever it is, I am what I do. And you know what? Your identity was never meant to be wrapped up in your vocation, ever. There's nowhere in Scripture where it says that. Never. It's not who you are. It's simply what you do. But when it is... Something threatens what you do, guess what? Threatens who you are. Threatens you to the core. It's why, it's why professional athletes have so much trouble once they leave the game, right? They don't know what to do with their life. They're depressed. They, they struggle so badly because, because their whole life has been wrapped around throwing a ball, catching a ball, dribbling a ball, running a touchdown, whatever that is. It's why, it's why people fall apart when they lose their jobs. This week, all right, this week, two very competent people lost their jobs that I care about. And you know what? If their identity is wrapped up in that, then guess what? It all falls apart. Anybody gone to their high school reunion? Let me just see your hands. Isn't it kind of lame? It's kind of weird. You see these people that have gained all this weight and they've lost all this hair, and that's just the women. It's weird. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It was bad. That was better than the first joke, though, right? But it, I went, and it was a while back. I haven't been lately. In fact, I think 25 years is coming up. This is ridiculous. But, but you, you, you go and you see people, and here's the two things that typically, here's where you, here's where you, you, you kind of you go this direction or this. Or when you're talking to somebody, they either brag about the glory days. You know what I mean? Man, can you believe this? We did this. This was awesome. Remember when we did this? Or they come over here and they go, hey, listen, let me tell you what I'm doing now. Let me tell you how important I am. Let me tell you about, you know, where I went to school, where I went to college, what I'm doing now, what my job is. Let me tell you about all the things that I'm doing. Let me show you all my trophies. That's typically what we do. And it's kind of lame. I mean, it's good to reconnect and see people, but, but here's the reality. If, if it's about simply reliving the glory days or just propping ourselves up by the stuff that we do, we've been, we've been, we've been stolen by success. I want to show you a quick clip. I don't know if all of you have seen this movie, but I think it will, it will speak for itself. Check out this clip. Here's a man that is way too old to be talking about high school, bragging about the glory days, and if he could go back, he'd take state. But it's really no different than your high school reunion or mine. We the glory in the old days, the glory days that weren't really all that glorious, right? The longer we're alive, the bigger the story, the better we were. Or we just brag about what we're doing now and we think that that's who we are. I am not what I do. I'm a pastor of this church, but that is not who I am. It's not my identity. It's a title. Another lie that we have is this, I, I am what I have. I am what I have. And, and this is a lie that cripples people financially. I mean, the weight of debt crushes a lot of young families because they think that they've got to have what their parents have. And when they fail to remember that it actually took their parents 30 years to get what they actually have now. And we get enticed by all these things that, that they have, that we need to have. And we think if we had those things, we'd be happy. That's why Americans are called consumers. 
We want the state of the art, the fastest, the latest, the, 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 the lightest, the, the best picture quality. But eventually, we're reminded that those things don't satisfy us and they're not who we are. It's a lie and a trap to distort our God-given identity. How many of you like the game of Monopoly? Let me see your hands. Monopoly? Anybody Monopoly fans? How many of you hate the game of Monopoly? It means you're not competitive or you've had a real bad fight with your spouse. All right, but anyway, uh, I love the game of Monopoly. I love, I, I'm, I'm very competitive. I love to win. Um, and Monopoly is, there's no grace in Monopoly. I don't know if you realize that or not. There's just no grace. I mean, there's grace everywhere else, but in, in Monopoly, there's no grace. If you land on my property, you're going to pay me. And if you can't pay me, then you've got to get out of the game. Give me all your properties. Give me all that you got. I'll take, your little, I'll take your little person and throw them out because that's the way games are played. You play to win the game. That's the reality. And here's what's interesting. Some of you won't even play with your spouse because you've had some of the biggest arguments in your marriage because of those games. You just won't go there. It, it, it's interesting, but here's the reality. Here it is. Whether you end up landing on my property and having to pay something that you can't afford or your opponent gives you every bit of your last dollar and their last property, here's the reality. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. Right? It all goes back in the box. And you can brag about it like Uncle Rico here about his, his, his football skills but it ain't going to go very far. Monopoly is, is, is not just a game that people play. For some people, Monopoly is life. Acquire, achieve, perform, outdo, be better than everybody else. No matter what it takes, no matter the toil that it takes on their life and the impact it has on their relationships. Jesus said this, and this may be the reason that you're here today, Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my followers, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Verse 26. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? those last two questions that I want to zero in on for just a couple minutes. What what does it benefit a man or a woman or a student to gain the whole world and lose their own soul? Answer, it's total loss. Next question, is there anything worth more than your soul? Answer, nothing. Nothing is worth more than your soul. Again, nothing wrong with having things, nothing wrong with working hard, achieving, performing, acquiring, but if you miss out on your true identity, if you miss out on your true purpose, if you miss out on God's value for who you are, you've missed everything. The big E on the I chart, all right? Because here it is. In the end, here's the reality. Whether you live 72 years, 93 years, 15 years, or 45 years, it all goes back in the box, this past week, we read in our 2020 time, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and I'll just give you a, a, a snapshot of it. It's not in my notes, but Ecclesiastes 5 says this, we came into the world both naked and empty-handed, okay? And that's the way that we leave the world. We came in with nothing, we'll leave with nothing. It all goes back in the box. Tom Brady was interviewed by Stephen Croft a few years ago on on 60 Minutes, and they were, he, he's the quarterback for the New England Patriots. I can't believe I'm even sharing an illustration about him being a Seahawks fan, but the reality is he, he was asked by, 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 by Steve Croft, 
what he's learned from all the success? What, he's, what lessons has he kind of got from all this? I mean, he's achieved so much in such a short period of time. And this is what he said. Well, I put incredible amounts of pressure on me. When, I f- when you feel like you're ultimately responsible for everyone and everything, even though you have no control over it, you still blame yourself if things don't go right. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. A lot of times I think I get really frustrated and introverted, and there's, there are times where I'm not the person I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. This is it. I reached my goals, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I, I mean, this can't be all it's cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27 years old. What else is there for me? Here's the reality. Tom Brady understands the truth of what, of what Solomon said. It's all meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. Success, Super Bowls, money, fame, fans cheering your name. It doesn't satisfy or fulfill the soul. In your notes, our identities are not found in your work or success. It's found in Christ's finished work on the cross. Let me say that again. Our identity is not found in your work or success. It's found in Christ's finished work on the cross. See, much of our world is perform, reward, perform, reward. If you don't perform, you don't get a reward. If you perform well, you'll get a reward. Get good grades in school, you get a scholarship to college, you get good grades in college, you, you end up getting a good job, and because of that, you'll get a good title and a good, a good paycheck, and because of that, you'll buy nice things, and you'll have this family, and then you'll want for them this, this good school and good grades, and it's this cul-de-sac that we never, ever, ever leave. We just keep driving around it, passing it on to the next. But it never answers the question, who am I? Why am I here? And what am I worth? But that question is answered in a bloodstained cross and an empty tomb. I love this. Jesus was on the cross, John 19, 30. He said three words. Here it is. Ready? It is finished. It's finished. And the Greek word for that word is tetelestai. And that simply means the work is finished, the bill is paid. It's done. It's done. Jesus died on a cross to pay for your sin and for my sin, all of our sin. Your pursuit of acceptance is over. Jesus demonstrated God's love for you in his death on a cross and three days later rising from the grave. The work is done. Our identities don't have to be wrapped up in anything other than what our creator says who made us, who came and put on flesh to live a perfect life and die in our place for our sins so that we could know the Father's love, so that we can know who we are, so that we can know we have purpose, so that we can know what we're worth. That's the reality. It's finished. It's found in a bloody, dying Savior who then raised from the grave. Last blank. Failure is to succeed at something that really doesn't matter. Failure is to succeed at something that really doesn't matter. It's an interesting definition for, for failure, right? I mean, we don't think of failure that way. It's to be really good at something it's to, uh, that doesn't really count, that doesn't have really lasting impact, that doesn't really matter. It's missing the big E on the I chart. It's chasing after something that will never last, never satisfy, or never fulfill. Here's the deal. What does it matter if you get all the power, all the titles, all the respect, all the recognition, and your marriage falls apart? What's it matter? What's it matter if you, you, you proved and, and proved again and continue to stay at the top and all those things, but you really don't have a relationship with your kids? They don't know you, don't really want to hang out with you, and eventually they go, you know what, I'm done. What does it matter? 
What does it matter if you have all this money and all this stuff, but you're empty and a shell of a person and you can't even enjoy it? What does it matter if you gain the world, but lose your soul? Answer, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Share this passage at a, at a graveside, a funeral service a couple weeks ago. Psalm 39, 4 through 7. David said, Lord, remind me of how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is but a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. We are merely moving shadows, and all of our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth, not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? And David says, my hope, my only hope, is in you. It's in you, God. See, there's something about funerals that ground us, that give us perspective, that allow us to see things maybe that we don't ever think about, and we begin to realize what's important, what really matters at the end of the day, and then we go back to our lives and we kind of forget about it. And let me just play prophet for just a second, okay, especially for you guys. I don't think that at the end of your life, if you're sick or you're on a hospital bed, you're in hospice care, whatever that is, I don't think you're going to look back on your life and regret these things. I wish I would have spent more time at the office. I wish I would have gone out more on those business trips. I wish I would have been gone more. I wish I would have you know, accomplished those things. I wish I would have sealed those deals. I wish we would have done this for the company. I don't think anybody in that situation is going to be thinking about that. But there will be, if, if you're not careful, some other regrets. And my prayer is I'm not going to prime the pump today. I just trust the Holy Spirit that if God's bringing something up to the surface of who you are, men or, or women alike in this room, that you would begin to go, God, I need that. I need to hear that today. I need you to wound me because you love me. I need you to discipline me because I want your best. I want what's best for my life and for my family, for my marriage, for what you have for me. I'm tired of chasing the wrong things. I I want to chase only what you have for me. I want your best. That's what I'm praying for for you today. Let me make some declarations. Just These are some things I wrote down this week. I refuse to, to let what will rot on this earth take away from what's eternal and what God's put on my heart. I refuse to, 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 to chase this, this pursuit of, of success that will impact and rob me of my marriage and my relationship with my kids. I refuse to allow my job to define me or rob me of my true identity that's only found in a bloodstained cross and an empty tomb. Today, I will love God and love what he's doing in my life. I will refuse to allow what I make, what I purchase, or what I have define me. I refuse to allow the expectations of others, people-pleasing, or the approval of man to define who I am. I am not what I do. I am not what I have. I refuse to allow the enemy any more ground in my life, but will choose God's love and God's best and his heart for me. I will choose the title of redeemed, chosen, forgiven, and free. I will choose to live out my God-ordained, God-given identity. I will choose contentment over debt. I will choose to win at home over winning at work or anywhere else. I will refuse to see people as anything less than human beings that God created with purpose on purpose. I will redefine success as loving God, loving myself, loving my family, and loving those that God put in my life. All for him. Living for the audience of one. Here's my question for you. Any declarations that you need to make in your life? Based on your world, your season of life? Has there been anything that the enemy's been kind of tugging at, trying to get you to think, no, 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 this is who you are. And the reality is, no, no, it's over here. 
You've been 10 degrees off for a long time and you've forgotten who you are because you've been wrapped up in your vocation, wrapped up in your title. And the reality is the best title that you can have is the one that the Creator gave you, which is I am a son or daughter of the one true God. And that's enough. There's freedom in embracing who God made you to be, who God says that you are, trying trying to live for Him. And there's joy in living for an audience of one. Jesus says, it is finished. Let me pray. And then Megan's going to come up and share real quickly. God, we love you. This is an interesting topic. And it's camouflage because we think it's good. And there are some great things about doing our best and about, about doing well. You tell us that you want to prosper our lives. But when, we, when that slides across the line into our identity, it becomes devastating. God, I pray for marriages in this room. I pray for families. I pray for kids. I pray for students today that have been struggling, have been chasing somebody else's dream other than the dream that you have for them. I pray, Lord, that you would have your way today. God, I don't know what that is. I know that your spirit does, and I pray that we would pursue you. And God, if it means that we have to redefine success or make some declarations this week, that I pray that you would allow us to do that. God, that we would be satisfied and content in knowing that you know, you know us, you know our name, that we're forgiven and free. We're a son or daughter of the one true God. God, I pray that that would drive and compel us to live our lives, to work hard, to do our best, but to love people well, pursue you and pursue your best for us. God, thank you so much for this series and this church, and thank you for these identity statements that you're working on us, and I pray that as we continue to take steps, you'll begin to give us clear focus and understanding as to who you call us. God, we're grateful for all that you're doing. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.